0: If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 10, you have the lesson planned before you, but there's some deviations we're going to take from that. So, so Holy Spirit, I align myself with you and I, I expect you to think through my mind and use my vessel today. Think through my mind and speak through my lips the will of God today and that there be a demonstration of it as well. Kousiatis samata. In the name of the Lord Jesus. In the name of the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Let every word, Father, be established today. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. All right. There's two things that we have to do in this life. Two things that we have to do. That is, enter. And leave. That is when you come into this world, you've entered it, and then, of course, when you die, you exit, you leave this world. Everything in between those two points determines the worth of your existence being here. And if you waste your life uh, searching after things, uh, catering to the whims of the of uh, our present day. And spend your life just gathering together things and possessions, and and you've not done anything for the kingdom of God. Then it's going to be a pitiful, pitiful thing when you face the end. I, I, uh, I I'm just so moved at how we've, we've just like our sister prayed a moment ago. We, uh, we, we have really forsaken the call and gift of God. Of why we're here in this in this world, and 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 I, I need I need us to start thinking. God needs us to start thinking in line with our purpose for why we exist, why we're here. It's not just to to get saved and have a family and live and die and leave this present world, but it is to to make a mark uh, for the kingdom of God. Uh, you say, yeah, but look at the marks I've already made. Well. Jesus can erase those marks. And it's never too late. And you can, you can on purpose uh, determine some things for the kingdom of God in your life. I want to start off here today. Let's read verses 1 through 5 here in 2 Corinthians 10 as I've listed there on your uh, lesson plan. This is just some Paul's thoughts of spiritual warfare. Now, Now the Lord has revealed to me in the past two days some things about this that I've never seen before. And it's so relevant, uh, especially the time frame that we're living in and what may happen next month uh, as has been prophesied. Uh, I don't know. I, I really feel like that the Lord gives words to men of God, not just as a warning, but also as a as a, a, a prequel uh, to what could happen if we don't pray. And then if we will get to praying, we can stop. Those things from happening, and I and I really believe that's why Dana Coverstone uh, did his thing, had the dreams, is is to warn the body of Christ, and he pretty much has. And so we've been praying and seeking God, and and uh, but but these things it's falling right in line. And the reason I want to talk to you from now from, from now till I get through with this course, each each message, because it's so relevant as to what we're going to be doing. Now, Brother Augie David is going to be with us next Sunday. Uh, he, he wanted to come sometime in October, and I said, yeah, that's fine. But So we, we'll, uh, we'll do that lesson, of course, following that. But I want you to invite people to his meetings. God, you wouldn't believe if you saw how he is using that man around the world. I mean, he's in Maryland right now this morning. Uh, I think the name of the church is Glory and Fire Church. I bet they're going to have a good time. But uh, anyway, uh, this man walks in the wisdom of God and is operates in the gifts of healings and miracles and so you come expecting and you invite people to come expect to receive from God Uh, there's been some awesome and there's no reason why it can't happen here there's no reason you know I know that brother Tim said that there was a a stronghold here that prevents people from praying the way that we need to pray we're going to deal with that in a few minutes But uh, there's no reason I'm just as valuable to God as the people in India. When when Augie goes to India, he ministers to several hundred thousand people at one time. But anyway, let's read these verses here. He says, Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you but being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present that, uh, with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Notice how he put that. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh for, here's a parenthetical, for, This is because, this is why we don't war after the flesh. Notice this. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So let's back up here to verse 1 again and I want you to understand a little bit of what Paul is dealing with here. Paul traveled the known world in his uh, gifting and calling that God put him in, but in his uh, physical appearance he was a small, bald-headed man that didn't that didn't come across very boldly. He said and the word base here, one one English word we could translate from this word base uh, other than just being humble, you can look it up yourself. Uh, but are a humble presence is we, we are we use our English word shamefaced, shamefacedness is how he came across when it just just appearing. And so I I, uh, I know there's other preachers have that I've heard on the radio before years ago, and uh, when I actually got to see them, their words didn't match their face. See, and so I've had some people. Say that about me, you know, after they finally meet the great Jerry Chumley. You know, hey, brother, is that really you? It doesn't sound like you, you know, your words don't fit together. Well, that's basically what he was referring to there. But he says, I want to beseech you, which is a, kind of like a beg word. The word beseech is almost begging. It's, it's, uh, it's proskalao, which means to call near, call up close to your side. But he said, I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with you with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us, now notice this, as if we walked according to the flesh. Now there's a big difference in the Apostle Paul and the 12 other apostles uh, that Jesus ran around with. A huge difference. And it it freed him from being drawn into the knowledge of Jesus after his flesh; those guys that walked with him knew him. I mean, you know, and I don't mean to be to paint a gross picture to you, but 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 it gets this real when you look at these comparisons. Is that they knew when Jesus went to the toilet; they knew when Jesus faced different things. See, in life, just like all of us do, and so they had they were limited because they knew him after the flesh. Paul did not. Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus and said, uh, why, you, why do you persecute me? In fact, he shone as bright as the sun and Paul couldn't see for three days because of that brightness. Uh, and, and, and he said, Why do you persecute me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And it was because of, of Paul's activity he was responsible. He would go in with his galleon of men and drag people out of their homes and kill them on the spot because they were Christians. They had forsaken Judaism and he thought that was sinful. See, Paul did everything he did in the name of God. See, it wasn't just that he was mean. He did it in the name of God. He thought he was doing God's service. So he says, as if we walked according to the flesh. Now the word walk there uh, is, is, of course, the word I've used a lot of times here because it paints such a pretty picture for me uh, from my growing up days, is peripateo. And that means to walk in a well-worn path. Cattle will do that, won't they, Lester? They'll take the same path to the place they're going. And, and, and that's, that's the picture this little word has with it. And which means, here Paul says, as though we walked according to our own flesh according to our own, you know, persona. And uh, that means that uh, the way that Paul did things after the flesh, you know, the way he conducted himself and all that, he said, we don't walk after that. He said, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not, and though it should have been translated, make war after the flesh, according to. In other words, according to the motivations that we have in our present walk. He said, we do not make war after the flesh. And you know, that's a word. That's a real word for us today. Now this is what the Lord said to me last night. Showed me in picture form. He said, for you to walk in the flesh according to these things where you're going to be talking about, he said, you would be going out and doing demonstrations with people. You would be protesting, a protest march, or a sympathy march. I know when I first met Teru, I went over there to Carrollton and her her and her sisters were doing a march that day, a walk for Gloria, their stepmother, and they were walking because she had, was it Alzheimer's? or uh, She had Alzheimer's and she was very young then. She was probably 60 at that point, wasn't she? But she had been diagnosed a few years before that. Early onset Alzheimer's. So they were doing a march for that cause. And you know, when you get right down to the brass tacks of it, it didn't do a bit of good. You can't fight the devil by doing a march. You can't fight the devil by doing a protest. You ever wonder? Why? I mean, there was many, many thousands and thousands of Christians that followed, or, or people that followed Jesus. And thousands and thousands. I mean, the church at Ephesus, they say, uh, some estimate that there was 100,000 people there in that town of Ephesus that were born again, spirit-filled. And, uh, and Peter pastored that church or Timothy rather. Timothy pastored that church. So keep that in mind when you're reading 1st and 2nd Timothy. Uh, So I gather from what the Lord impressed upon me that the reason that that big amount of Christians back in Bible days didn't protest is because that's not the way you do spiritual warfare. That's not the way. So we're not going to do a march around Moreland. We're not going to carry signs. We're not going to do any of that, especially in the sphere of politics. I mean, politics, I mean, that's just stupid. I don't like it in the first place. Church polity. I remember when I got my exhorter's license from the Church of God, we had to study about church polity. Well, I, was, I didn't even know what that was. So I found out it's their form of government and how they do their things. And their, we had to know all that. So he said, although we walk in the flesh, we do not make war. In other words, our strategies doesn't come from the realm of the natural man. The, the word flesh here is in your notes there, sarix, and that means the animal nature, the human nature, the Adamic nature. And so then he gets in, this, this parenthetical statement is an explanatory uh, uh, verse explaining the most important words describing our weaponry and what it's for. First of all, he said, for the weapons of our warfare, and, and it's the Greek word hoplon. Hoplon described, if you, if you could go back in time and look at a Roman soldier, you would see him dressed to the hilt with his armor. And I mean, in this, these instruments of war meant that they were equipped for battle. They, they, they were, they were equipped to the point where nothing could come against them. I mean, from head to toe, they were equipped. He said that the, the weapons of our warfare, the instruments of war that we use, our warfare, are not carnal. But notice this. The warfare is stratia. What word do we get from that? Strategy. So you, so our strategizing, doesn't come with you getting a posse up against the governor or whoever you don't like or whatever. It doesn't. Come. Our strategy doesn't come from that. And there's so many Christians today being drawn off into that. And if you don't, then you think that you're, you know, they think that you're betraying Jesus by not standing up and having your say. So, well, bless God. I think it's more important to stand up and have your say so in your prayer chamber and dealing with things in prayer. If we really believe that prayer works, we'd spend more time doing it, see. But we're too too lulled, uh, you know, like being lulled to sleep, we're too conditioned in the modern day church that when things don't go right, then we complain and cry and go to the pastor or whatever and try to get some help and get on a prayer chain. And if you get so many people praying, then there's bound to come an answer because it's going to aggravate God enough to where He'll go. down. I mean, that's the mentality of thousands and thousands of Christians around the world today. And and we wonder why we don't get any results. It doesn't matter whether it's one person or whether it's a million people praying. We need to pray in faith. We need to pray in the Word of God. When we get into dissecting each one of these pieces of this armor in this course here in the next month, then we're going to really understand what they're for. And that word that came the other day just blew my mind. He said... The Lord said, uh, "Too many Christians are trying to fight their battle with a shield instead of a sword." Wow, that just—I almost fell down when He said that to me. But it's so true. So the weapons of our warfare, our strategy, our expedition, the campaign—the you know, being prepared to humiliate the enemy. The actually, uh, this word "warfare" actually describes a massacre. To totally, you know, of the worst kind. To totally humiliate your enemy. Now let me just pause here for a minute. And let us all remember what happened from the cross to the throne. What happened there? Number one, Jesus bought our eternal redemption. But number two, he destroyed the works of the devil. He defeated him. The devil does not have any room for retaliation. This uh, this armor, this warfare was was defensive as well as offensive. And I'll tell you about the seven different kinds of pieces of armor that we should all put on. I mean, Paul Paul told us in Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God. He he instructed, put it on. Well, now what happens to a child of God that doesn't? Put it on. Huh? Absolutely. I mean, just think about that. We're not teaching on it today, but just think about this helmet of salvation. And what happens if you don't put that on? Somebody's going to sneak up behind you and hit you right in the head. And that's literally what happens. You'll understand more why that is like that when we get into that. But, as I've said here, we, we must have a winning strategy. The strategy is, is tailor made for each one of us, and the Holy Spirit has the strategy of your, of your campaign or as, of your endeavoring to overcome the enemy in your life. It's specific to you, just like General George Patton. Uh, if I'm not correct, correct me if I'm wrong. But George Patton studied the methods of his enemy how they prepared, what they had in their arsenal, how they were going to do, whatever they were going to do. And he knew that, so he counteracted that. And he had men uh, subjugated to him as soldiers that he would give them specific directions on what to do. What one would do, which is maybe go down there and, and blow a bridge up or something, whereas another would go somewhere else and do something else, see. So, so these instructions, these strategies that we have as our walk in Christ in this world, is is peculiar or particular to us, each one of us. So that's why it's dangerous to copy. There was a group of men, uh, seven brothers. They were sons of a man named Sceva. And they saw what the apostles were doing in casting out devils. And so they tried it, and you know the story if you haven't read that, but... uh, you know, they they tried that and the devil just ran all over them. He said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Yeah. And so he just, you know, emaciated them. And that's what happens when we try to come against the enemy in our own name or in our own strength. So you see, we must press in to the spirit, not the flesh. The, the, you know, you have one soul but you have two minds and too many times we are following the mind of the flesh the mind of the flesh is, is the adamic nature the mind of the flesh is sin it's it's our earth, it's describing our earth walk so that's what paul was referring to he said uh, you know though we live in the flesh we walk in the flesh we're very accustomed to the flesh. We like what's familiar to us. We know how to handle things. And I need, I'm telling you, I have met, I have met some survivors. My mother is a survivor. The things that they went through coming up. I mean, living in a slab house. You know what a slab house? A slab is where they when they cut a log, when they you know start making planks or boards. That's the outside. That's the bark side. And they lived in a slab house. Mom said many times in the winter she woke up with, pill- with snow on her pillow. Survivors. I, I, you, I can't tell you enough that how much I appreciate each and every one of you to listen to your life stories. I had the opportunity to, to, to ride with Lester down to Oklahoma City a while back. There and back. And to listen to this man's life amazed me. He's a survivor. He knew how to make it. Him and him, him and Glenda, I mean, think about when you guys started. Remember that little tiny house? Too cold to even live in? And he, he'll tell you how he built onto it and how they how they survived, what all he's done. It's amazing. I'm sure Brother Elmer's the same way. What you guys have put up with and done with and how you've survived and how you've made it. You know, the generation we're living in today don't know how to do that. But the reason I brought that up is because our earth walk matters. How we conduct ourselves here matters. But we cannot afford to rely on that as a, as a strategy to come against the enemy. Because the strategies that he uses against us are spiritual. They're spiritual conflicts. We, we, must, we must follow the mind of the Spirit. That's your mind. That's, that's the mind of Christ that is in you. In your spirit. When Paul said to Timothy, uh, and it's to, to always talking about, because Timothy, by Second Timothy, he was asking Paul, he said, what on earth do I do? He said, people are abandoning me. They're leaving the church because of persecution. What do I do? And which we'll get over there a little later, hopefully. But he said, he said God hath not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I've heard Charismatic people, Pentecostal people, Baptist people take that, lift that out of its context and say, oh yeah, we've got the Holy Ghost. You know, it's not a spirit affair, but you know, that's not talking about the Holy Ghost. It's talking about your new nature. It's talking about your spirit that's born again, born of God. It, it is one of power and of love and the soundness of mind. That's the, that's the character of your spirit. But if you do not allow that to manifest in, in your walk, then it's of no value. These, this new nature that we house in our spirit is captivated and kept locked up in some people's lives for, the, for their whole life. And they try to negotiate, according to the flesh, how to get by. And when they, when they can't come up with a good enough answer, As to why problems and spiritual conflicts are happening in their lives. They create stupid doctrines. And people are so gullible they'll eat them up because it's an answer. You say, well, what kind? Well, you know, God's just allowing this to teach me something. That's one of the stupidest things that a child of God could say. Let alone offending God. Because he sent the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. He's the number one. See, I'm telling you, I've got, I've got acres of tapes and stuff back there from men of God that he's allowed to come into my life and, and I learn from them. And it is easy to rely on what they say rather than checking it out with the Holy Ghost and making it mine. I'll, I'll listen to Bob Yandian on a series. A lot of this series came from him, and I'll study that. I'll meditate it. I'll write it out. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll range over. And then I pray in tongues, and the Holy Spirit brings revelation to me. See, but it's easy to copy what somebody else has done. The sin of denominationalism is jealousy to the point of copying. That's a word you probably shouldn't put out on the sign out there. But now Paul, as I said here, faced death daily. I'm not talking about, you know, these people come, oh, we've had some spiritual warfare. I tried to share Jesus and somebody looked at me mean. Oh, you pray for me. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves. Paul literally faced murder every day. And in fact, at one point they did kill him. They stoned him to death. They put him in a pit and you got the biggest stone you could find. You threw, you aimed at the head until you saw brains coming out and then it was done. That happened to him. What did he do? They took him outside the city, left him for dead. And the other apostles gathered around him, held hands and said, Lord, we thank you. You're not done with this man yet. Raised him up. Paul didn't go home and say, well, you know, that's too much for me. I'm quitting this. He went right back into the city that stoned him. Read read up on it. It's it's incredible. I mean, the early church, we we talk about, and I really do feel like that the early church prided themselves on dying a glorious death for Jesus. You know, I'm not going to die with the flu, but let me die with a beheading. You know, it was their mentality back then. I've often questioned, I haven't asked the Lord about it yet, but I've often questioned, well, you reckon they just wanted that, and they didn't want to use this spiritual armor and come against them? I I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. It seems like it, because that I mean, if you get the full six volumes of of Fox's Book of Martyrs, why the things they put up with, the deaths that they died? I mean, where where would your where would your praise life be? <laughs> I've seen more stuff over praise and worship in my life that I care to even think about. But where would your praise and worship life be if you got tied up on a big stake and set on fire to where you you hung there and the fire that they built under you started burning your feet first. I'm giving some, this is not something I'm making up. I read this in, in that Fox Book of Martyrs. Uh, where that, that fire starts burning and burns your feet and then the sinews and the fat that's in your feet and legs begin to drip down it makes the fire worse. You know, are you ready to praise the Lord then? Well, I'll tell you what they did. Those saints of God sang in tongues and worshipped God. It's even reported that they said they didn't even feel it. These guys knew how to survive, but they walked in the spirit. They didn't walk in the flesh. I mean, it would be so easy for me, and I'm just admitting something to you today. I'm not. I don't. I don't tout myself to be some spiritual giant and having all these things down in my life. If I was, I wouldn't be walking around with two artificial knees. But it would be so easy for me if someone came in here uh, trying to persecute us for me to pull out that nine millimeter and say, "Oh, nobody." That's not walking after the spirit, that's walking after the flesh. I'm reminded of what happened to Dave Roberson one time. he was over in Russia preaching and teaching and this guy that was sitting out in the congregation was just really mad and angry and started running toward him and he could tell the people were saying, "Oh you look, look, look," and he stopped and he said it was almost like. There was a brick wall, an invisible brick wall between him and the guy, and he came and hit it and fell back. Dave walked over there, helped him up, and the man was born again and spirit-filled on the spot. That's walking in the spirit. That's an outcome that you can... See, that's why I don't like all... And My God, this is going out on tape, but still. That's why I don't like all these Baptist movies. Because it it, it, it borders on them... uh, just enduring the pain. It's, it's never, well, man, they were just glorif- they were gloriously healed right in front of God and everybody. It, it never ends that way. It always ends with some psychological ending to those movies. I mean, it's not bad. I mean, it's better than watching a lot of this other stuff on TV, but still. But in 2 Timothy 4.10, notice this. Paul said this about Demas. Now, Demas was talked about other than just there. He, was, he traveled with Paul. He said Demas, Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world and is departed unto Thessalonica Cretans to Galatia the Titus unto Dalmatia. So he got he, he literally got tired of the of the attacks of the enemy. Said it, having loved this present world. I mean tell you I, I'd love to have traveled with Paul. So you see, people, the battle is in your mind. It's not like we have marauders out here like it was in the Old West and hiding in the canyons and stuff trying to come against us and trying to... Work. It's, it's, these things are in the mind. That's why I name the, the gifts, the, the, uh, the, the list of the armor in Ephesians 6. I call it the, uh, the armor of righteousness. And we must put it on. Rick Renner calls it the splendid armor. The splendid armor. And it really is a good description for that. So the battle is in the mind. James chapter 3 and verse 16. He says, therefore, where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. So you see, that's how, that's how the enemy gets to us. Envying, strife. It's almost a magnet for the devil. You know, you may be doing fine. Then you and your wife or you and your husband get in an argument. And you let strife in the house. And then something else happens. The washing machine breaks. And all different kind of stuff starts happening. Well, confusion and every evil work is the result. Now notice that. He says that that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. He's doing a good job up there, isn't he? Look at that scripture he's put up there. Thank you, buddy. Not carnal. Sarkikos. That means that means governed by the mere human nature under the control of the animal appetites. For the weapons that we use are not controlled or governed by the flesh but by the new nature which is in us. That's the weaponry. That's that's who governs that. Your spirit. And I'm telling you, he's ready. Your spirit is created in righteousness and true holiness. It is perfect. It is like Jesus. It has no flaws in it, but it's ready to be equipped. It's ready to pull out that armor and use it against the enemy. Amen? Galatians 5, 19 and 20. Look at this. Let's start with verse 17. For the, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, you are not under law. Now let me ask you a question. What was the law governed by? Clue, I just men- mentioned it a minute ago. The weaponry we have is governed by our new nature not the flesh. The law was governed by the flesh. Paul teaches that in Romans and said it was weak in that the law could not produce righteousness. You could keep it all and still would not be made righteous. So he says there then, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, strife, rife, strife, Wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like. Of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now notice, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, meaning that if they were, those would be the results of your weaponry when you start moving and operating and coming against the devil, you are in his territory and you are going to succumb to the work of the flesh. But then he says in verse 22 there, isn't it? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So when you're doing spiritual warfare, it's going to come through the fruit of your spirit. You say, well, that doesn't make sense. I know it doesn't make sense to the flesh. We think about warfare, we're thinking about battles and all that, but we're talking about using the Word of God and His Spirit. Using that Spirit, that new nature that's inside you to come against the works of the flesh. See, that make any sense to anybody? 1 Corinthians 3, 1-3 through three. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unspiritual, but as unto what? Carnal. Even as unto babies in Christ, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are you able, for you are yet carnal, whereas there is among you envying and strife divisions. Are you not carnal and walk as mere men? Can you see the picture there now? Christians who engage in protests and marches, against their government, is not walking after the Spirit, they're walking after the flesh. I mean, I'm a firm believer in the so-called silent majority. If the silent majority will get on their knees before God and pray and overcome all these things. The report would be like this. We don't really know what happened, but it didn't manifest like we thought it was going to. That's what happens when we operate in the spirit. You see, we don't do these things for grandeur. We don't do these things for accolades and for people to applaud what a great spiritual person we are. Because I'm telling you, the greatest spiritual warfare that's ever waged has been in the little home of a young or of an older lady that knows how to praise and worship God and get on her knees before Him and pray the power of God down around her and her friends and church. He said, I couldn't speak to you as unto mature, spiritual, advanced people. Isn't it interesting that both 1st and 2nd Corinthians, now maybe that'll spark a little bit of interest, where you can go read those two books this week. Read all those two books this week, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and realize not one word of it It's spiritual meat. It's all milk. You say, well, what about 1 Corinthians 14? That's talking about tongues. Absolutely. What about chapter 12? That's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. 13, talking about love. All that's milk. Everything I've shared with you since I've been your pastor has pretty much been milk. Because that's where the body of Christ is at large. We need to be fed with the milk of God's Word. The sincere desire, the Bible says, to desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may what? Grow thereby. That's what this whole course has been about. Growing in Him. But He says they're not carnal, but they're mighty. Meaning this, that uh, the, the works of the flesh are not, are not mighty. Our armor, the spiritual armor, is dunatos, has great ability, is powerful. The flesh is not. How many of you ever remember the uh, power team? Brother Elmer? do you remember John Jacobs and the power team? Well, my son, I'm telling you, him and his little class back then, this was back in the early 90s, probably late 80s, they decided they wanted to put on a skit About the power team. Because I can't remember whether we had them come there. It seemed like we did. Uh, But anyway, Josh and his boys there at church, so they got these, you know, they stuffed their shirts full of stuff, made them look like had big muscles and all this stuff. And and I understand the point of view that, that John Jacobs and those guys were coming from to realize that we are powerful in God, but it's through the spirit. It's not in the natural. Because those those men, if you'll do, all you got to do is Google his name, and it'll say what happened to John Jacobs, and you can find out that he did not operate in the spirit. Uh, he's went through some real bad problems uh, because he wasn't grown up in the Lord. But nevertheless, uh, this 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 word here says our the weapons of our warfare are mighty. Notice that through God. It, it's todiotheos. theos. Which means they're only operative through God. Through God. In, uh, it's in the instrumental case meaning that they only that's the instrument. These gifts the, these actually they are gifts but these weapons that we have they only work through God. They don't work through our flesh. It will not work. I can't tell you at the prayer times that I've had over the years with people corporate prayer and you could tell the ones that were thought they were pretty spiritual they'd get over there somewhere, they they go and they'd holler in the, you know their tongues and thinking they were coming against the devil the devil doesn't understand tongues and in about 10 minutes their tonsils blew out and they quit. All they did was edify themselves in a loud voice. So that's not, you don't come against the devil in tongues. You build up yourselves in tongues. And you can do that. You don't even have to say it out loud. Just create the circuit. Let the circuit complete itself. And just whisper those things. That way you can spend hours in prayer. And it won't hurt your throat. You know, being real practical there. But notice this next thing, number five here. He says, pulling down strongholds. Mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. It's katerinesis, which means to bring to extinction, to destroy, to overthrow. Literally describes a coup. In other words, these authorities that we come against, principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, uh, you know, those that Paul lists later on, we're not getting into that part of it right now but pulling down those things those those strongholds bringing bringing an overthrow to the to the kingdom of the enemy the strongholds is talking about a fortress notice that how I've put this here a fortress or anything on which someone relies so let me ask you when you're pulling down a stronghold what does your enemy rely on You have an enemy. You have specific enemies against you. I think Satan assigns enemies to us. But what do they rely on? Now remember I said a while ago Jesus destroyed the devil. Destroyed him. Rendered him him powerless. So what does he rely on now? He relies on deception. Making us think things That are not according to God. You pull down a stronghold. See a stronghold when it's left alone. Can become a a fortress. Can become a mighty mighty thing in your life. Those little thoughts. That start in your mind. Just uh, sticks a thought in there. I'm sure that probably. Maybe a year and a half into Jesus ministry. Judas began to think. From the thoughts of the enemy. You know what? This guy could really take over the world. You need to watch him. He could really do some great, great things. See, a lot of people like that. A lot of people, you know, you know what? It's sort of like that uh, Field of Dreams movie Terry and I watched the other night. You know, build it and they will come. That's the philosophy of a lot of preachers. Build a big building and they'll come. Well, that's not God. There's lots of big buildings built that God never authorized. But these thoughts will come sneaking in. The thought may have come to Judas. You know what? Yeah, I'm glad. You better be glad you're holding the money. Because there's going to be a lot of it come in. And you know the story of what happened. And the scripture actually says, And the devil having now put into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. He stuck that thought in there. The battles in the mind. Pulling down the stronghold. And then, of course, the next, the next thing here is uh, casting down imaginations. It's the same kind of word, kathario, which means to demolish. In this, in this the way it's stated here, to refute with violence. Uh, casting down imaginations. Logismos. Reasonings. A judgment in opposition. So when these thoughts come to you, let me just pick on my wife here for a second. When the thought comes to Teru, well, you know what? I just really don't have the boldness that I need to really go out and do what Jesus wants me to do. So I'll just stay back in the shadows. That's a thought from the devil. Because she is powerful. I know. When she has a word from the Lord, it's so soft and so easy. It's not, Thus saith the Lord. (laughs) She'll tell me a lot of times, she'll tell me stuff, you know, I think, that, and it was God. I mean, it just, so it doesn't have to be that way. But my, but my point is that we are in charge of casting down the reasonings. The reasonings, the things that come against you. Wow, look who you are. Look what you've been doing. Listen, people. Your Heavenly Father is your provider. He doesn't change occupations. I need to get some water here. God does not change. He's still father, isn't he? What about when you sin? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Still father? I would be willing to wager, if I was a betting man, which I'm not, that if any of Lester's family needed money, desperately needed money, he would do whatever it took to supply that. It, it, it doesn't matter that they lost it because they were stupid does it brother it doesn't matter a bit because he loved you love them that's the same way with our heavenly father so i'm cool. jimasa this has been coming against a lot of people i don't know it's here i think it is but the enemy's been telling you god's not going to meet your need because of what you've been doing listen he's still your daddy and He's going to meet your need. It doesn't. He doesn't say, I'll supply all your need according to my riches and glory if you're nice. He will meet your need. Fall in love with your Heavenly Father. That's probably not an accurate way to put that. But you love Him. And you get to know Him. And you won't ever be afraid of not having supply again. You say, yeah, but what about my job? That's in the flesh. Yeah, but what about people don't like me? That's in the flesh. Your father loves you. He's honored to He's honored to take care of you, and He'll supply everything that you need in life. But we, I mean, we pay a price for not trusting God. We look look at the price I have paid for not trusting Him for my needs. You know, I've, I've paid that now. I've paying that price since for two months. And and I don't. I, I'll be first one to admit I did not trust God. If I did, it wouldn't have happened. So we pay a price for not trusting Him in our finances. And we get caught up with the cares of this life. We get caught up with trying to meet every need of everybody. Paying these bills. Paying this house. Paying this car. All these things. And we have to go after the flesh in order to make the way to do it. You say, yeah but shouldn't you work? Yeah, but it ought to be a blessing. It should be a joy. This sister right here told us the other day, I mean this woman, uh, the age that she is, I'm not going to tell you because she might not want me to know, but But the age that she is and working like she does, she'll say that it's a joy to her. That's the way it ought to be with all of us. Amen? This is a joy to me getting up here. You guys sitting there listening to me jab on. But casting down those imaginations, arguings and reasonings by which disputant endeavors to fortify his opinion and defend it against his opponent. There was a, a, a well-known Christian uh, counselor who said that 90% of Christian counselees are clinically depressed. Why? Listening to what the devil says about you will depress you. You say, yeah, but what if he's right? <laughs> then you need to get saved. No. No, you need to just start listening to what Jesus has said about you. Get in His Word and say, well, I'm the very righteousness of God. I've been born again. I have authority over these problems. I can walk above these circumstances. I can come out of this because of whose I am. Who I am and whose I am. Glory to God. And then He says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. In other words, coming against which means to lift up in pride and self-exaltation. All, all of those things. 1 Timothy three six. I think that's on my other page here. Let me read that to you. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride he fall into the condemnation of the devil. And then 2 Corinthians 2.11 says lest Satan should get advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices. That Therein lies a great problem in the body of Christ today. People are ignorant of his devices. And because they're ignorant, they get motivated to get in a big line of, of protests and you know railing against this and that and the other and making your voice. You know All that's well and good, I suppose. But, but if we're going to fight the enemy, we can't do it that way. But I'll tell you, the reason we're depressed is because of uncaptivated thoughts. That's the reason. Not taking authority over those thoughts. And bringing it into captivity. You, if I tell you not to think of a spotted dog, what is in your mind right now? A Dalmatian. Probably 101 of them. You know, because I said not to think of it. And you immediately, your mind goes there. So it's when you get these thoughts, you can't not think them. But taking captive those thoughts is you holding it right there and you taking a thought from Jesus which comes from His Word, and you lay it right down beside that, and you confess that thought, you start speaking that thought, guess what? The spotted dog thought will leave because your focus has changed. And now you're focused on the righteousness of God. Amen? So, that mental perception or that disposition, you know, it, it, it will really overcome us. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-3. through 3. We're going to end up here in just a few minutes. I don't know how long... We've gone here. 51 minutes. Thou therefore my son be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Or Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. The same commit thou to faithful men. This is this is Paul talking to a pastor. The same commit thou to faithful men. Who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. The devil knows when you're spirit filled and he knows that you are a force to be reckoned with. He knows that and that's why he's targeting you. See why does this happen to me? Because he's targeting you. He hates you. And he's afraid with great fear that you're going to get to know who you are in Christ. And that you're going to start praying in tongues of which they cannot change whatsoever. They cannot understand it. I know Brother Hagin said one time, he said he saw the Lord opened his eyes and let him see two demons and they were in His presence and He was praying in the Spirit. And the one, one demon looked at the other one and said, does that burn you like it does me? So you step up on that and you, you, you endure hardness as a good soldier. See, all the devil can do is to distract us from knowing God's Word. That's all, that's all he has. Endure hardness. That means to undergo, undergo hardships. You say, yeah, but if I'm a child of God, can't I just come against those things? And I won't have to face the hardness? Well, I'll answer you like I answered somebody the other day. I said, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's going to come. Those people may not even know why they're coming against you. Those things may happen to you. You you have no reason whatsoever. But they're going to come. But your response will determine the outcome. You know what? Usually, I don't know if anybody else operates this way or not, but usually when an evil thought comes into my head about sickness, usually about sickness, because as a rule, my physical body has, has been used to getting bronchitis a couple of times a year for 30 years or more. And so usually, I I've, I've put it to the test. If that thought comes in, I'm going to give that to you. You're going to get bronchitis. If I don't say anything about it, it happens. But if I take that thought captive and I say, no, himself bore my sicknesses, carried my diseases, it's not coming nigh me. That's in the thought process. That's not waiting for a symptom to come. It's sort of like Zycam. If you wait till you've got a cold, you might as well leave it alone. It's to take care of it beforehand, see? And that's, that's captivating the thought that comes to you. Well, you know, I'm, you know I got. And, and it could be anything. I mean, if, if you watch uh, Dr. Oz, you'll have an opportunity to catch everything in the world. Yeah, I think I felt that. You know? So don't be entangled with the affairs of this life. You're in a battle. You're in a spiritual battle. Kids, this is for you too. You need to take authority over these things in the spirit, not in the flesh. Don't let anger rise up. Walk in love. Come against these things with the Word of God, with the sword of the Spirit. As i put here, and I, let's just go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 2 and we'll end with this. Because it's the greatest display I've ever seen in my life. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14. This is exactly what happened from the cross to the throne. The cross was the, the greatest strategy that ever, that ever lived, that ever was formulated. Think about this aspect. Before I read this, think about this. Jesus came to defeat the devil. That's why the Bible says he was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. But what he had to get in on his side. He had to to get in his territory. To defeat and to obtain the keys to death and hell, Jesus had to do something to get a hold of them. He couldn't go to hell himself, he was pure. He was righteous. So, what he had to do was become what we were on the cross. He became what we were so that we could become as he is now. And so, when he became what we were, he suffered the penalty of every sin mankind had ever committed. He suffered that. He became, he identified. He was no longer the spotless Son of God. He said, Well, wasn't Jesus God? Yes, but he separated himself from that. He took on him the death and suffered the death of the cross, and which was the death of a criminal. And he descended into the lower parts of the earth. And I'm telling you, he resurrected the third day. And when he resurrected, God that resurrected him with the right hand of his righteousness. And when he resurrected him, he resurrected all of us. But here's the thing that happened. This is what happened. Verse 14, Colossians chapter 2. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was what? Against us. Which was contrary to us. You couldn't keep enough of the law to benefit yourself. You could keep every bit of it and it still would not have made you righteous. Notice this. And took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Jesus became what we were. You see the law identified it, identified it. Identified sin. What sin was? Paul said that in the 7th chapter. He said if the if the law said had said that that covetous wasn't uh, sin. He said, I I wouldn't even have known that. Unless the law told me. So the law identified that. It, it, It told us that we were sinners as human beings. We were lost and undone without God. And that law didn't help us to attain anything. Jesus became what we were and took that law, those handwriting ordinances, folded it up. Which was one way that people solved the debt of other people. If I owed a lot of debt and the Lord spoke to Brother Lester to come over there and pay all of my debts and I had them listed. Let me see, Let me say it this different. If I owed Brother Lester a bunch of debt and he had it listed and for him to come over to my house and fold it up and nail it to the doorpost of my house and write paid in full then I would no longer be liable for those those debts. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. Nailed it to His cross. Now notice this. And having spoiled principalities and powers, He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And that is what is called the great procession, the triumbeuses, which was when a, a conqueror went in and conquered a king, took his city and all of his belongings, all of his soldiers, all of his people, took them captive, and led them in procession back to his city. He in the front, on a great white stone,